All right, here we are. Sunday afternoon. What is it? April 26th, I believe. Yeah. I am over at the studio of my good friend and fellow adventurer, John Porter Lassiter IV. Otherwise, to me, known as John. <laughs> but only friends know my full name. <laughs> That's right. Or would dare say it aloud. Uh, so, we're going to... John, John is a excellent artist, and uh, I've known him for a long time. Maybe before he was an artist or knew he was an artist. We're, we're going to talk about that a little bit today, but I uh, just want to introduce him to you today and uh, talk about some of the stuff uh, we've done together and talk about a lot of the stuff that he's done on his own. Um, you know, this podcast is kind of based in adventure, and John's one of my fellow adventurers. We've gone on several fun, adventurous trips together. Uh, one of them, I, I'm trying to remember what year it was when we flew in my Cessna to Santa Fe to do some painting. It you remember 2015 that? or 16, I think. Okay, okay. That sounds about right. Um, and that was quite a trip. Uh, probably the, definitely the furthest west I'd been that, at that point in my little Cessna. And John was brave enough, me being a fairly new pilot, not all that experienced. Uh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, he found that out on the way. Um, but we had, yeah, it was quite adventurous. We had uh, winds like I'd never flown in going across Oklahoma, western Oklahoma, and had to land in some crosswinds. And <laughs> remember that? Mm-hmm. So uh, I just remember looking down at. Highway 40, uh-huh. I believe it was, that yeah. goes east to west. Right. And the cars were going just as fast as we were because we were going into a headwind. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and I remember when we landed in that crazy wind, that guy that we talked to at the airport uh, looked kind of laughing at us because it's like, this is one of the calmer days out here. Whoa. <laughs> yep. Um, but then, uh, you know, we. Uh, went out there to Santa Fe and found some beautiful spots to paint. Uh, he was teaching me some about plain air painting, which he was doing at the time. He still is doing. Um, and then uh, we actually got to do really one of my bucket list items, which was to show up at the the uh, Albuquerque International Balloon Fiesta. I was wearing that hat earlier. don't have it on now, but... Um, yeah, I've always wanted to go to that. I didn't get to go up in a balloon, but John painted some while I went and stood out in the field and watched them take off and land all around me. It was quite a surreal experience. You were having all the fun, and I was I was working. Yeah, that's right. I made a little painting, little study of that, and then gave that to yeah, you. He actually gave it to me afterwards. Right. Yes, that was quite a gift. I had that hanging in my basement of the house. Um... I thought it was in the bathroom. <laughs> no. It's in my big family room where a lot of oh. people can see it. Uh, another fun trip, and maybe John will tell us a little more about this later, is when we got to fly uh, to to visit George W. Bush. He was invited uh, to, to paint for him, and that was quite an experience also. We've also gone on mountain climbing trips and skiing trips and... Uh, other camping trips and stuff but anyway um i'm gonna get into just asking john to share a little bit about his 
his uh, painting and what got him started. So let's start with this question. When do you remember the first realization that you had talent as a painter, that you could be an artist? When, when, when was that? And tell us a little bit about it. Well, maybe instead of the, the painter thing, that, that was later in life. Uh, but I knew I could draw and that I had expression and the ability to, uh, to draw. I didn't really explore color a whole lot as a kid, but, but I I learned that I could draw and, uh, my parents kind of saw that, that gift developing. And so they put me in some, some lessons with an artist in Houston where I grew up and, uh, she got me a set of charcoals and, had me doing, you know, work that was, like I said, expressive. Like she was pulling out some books and letting me look through, and I, I was picking things that that had movement and some sort of narrative to them. And I really enjoyed, you know, raking that charcoal across paper, and it was really fun. You know, and a lot of kids connect with that, but then don't know what to do with it. And so that I was one of those, and right. so ended up not. Uh, not really pursuing it as a teenager, but I ha- always had a sketchbook, and even in college and beyond, I, you know, I just was interested in things that were creative like that. Okay, cool. Well, that kind of segues right into my next question: was how did you go about turning that what you knew you had into a career path? What were the steps that turned <laughs> into the painting and stuff that you do now? Yeah. I just started charging money for my stuff. That's how. <laughs> no, I got a better story than that. Oh, good. Um, yeah, so I, uh, I had a, a workshop with, with a painter named Todd Williams in uh, the year 2000. So it's cool. I'll always remember when I started. <laughs> and uh, it was through my job with a greeting card company and so all the supplies were bought for me, which supplies can be pretty expensive. And that's one of the big humps that it's hard for someone to get over when they're interested in trying it out because you can't go buy all the best materials. But fortunately for that workshop, we had some great material, great teacher, great subject matter to work with. And so I had a great, great kickstart into painting. And the same friend, Todd, I would travel to outdoor painting shows with him because that's something he was interested in and so I learned to really love the landscape and um, well it took a while landscapes very difficult people look at it and think mm, that, that would be easy you just make a field and some trees and some sky but it's really as you begin to like look at, the, at what makes a good piece of art it is really tough to take those elements sky tree grass and turn it into something that feels unique, feels like it really reflects life and light and color and everything the way it should. And uh, so it can be extremely frustrating. So it kind of was at first. I, I was better at things where like you had this central subject, like a, a vase or a, or, a, or a figure, something that you could actually, something with substance. You could put it right in the middle of the canvas and turn it into something, you know. Um, so anyway, some of my very first plein air paintings were at a, a workshop. Actually, it was a figure workshop that I went to. And uh, 
it was I did some some landscapes because there was a, a, a kind of a co-joining show that was going on and and some of the collectors came up and saw my my landscapes and said you know that they wanted to buy them and that was the first time I'd ever heard that I'd never even sold anything at that point so I sold those two or three of those landscapes and it, there was no looking back after that I just I thought man if if they would buy my amateur just starting out outdoor paintings <laughs> yeah maybe I have a future in this how did you figure out what to charge for those well I didn't really understand what I was doing you know I threw a price on it and then told a friend and uh, he, he thought it was way you know less than I should have charged so mm-hmm. there's a there's like a you sort of have to rank yourself and figure out where you fit in there but none of the prices make sense to your mind at first because right. they're so inflated but you begin to learn there's just so many people that have the gift and the ability to paint at a level that can make thousands of dollars and so I just you know I mean I think the way I priced those initial pieces were what they were worth sure. in my mind because and, and that's that's really what you got to do is you have to assuage your conscience yeah. and charge what seems right and um, so you got to look a lot you got to look at prices and go to galleries and kind of look around and see what people are doing and um, your conscience will adjust right, <laughs> to right. what you see around you and okay. you kind of know where you stack up I guess that's the way yeah. it works interesting yeah. so um, share some of your most memorable experiences as a plein air artist places you've been things you've done yeah so um, as I progressed I, I decided to put all of my efforts pretty much into outdoor painting uh, landscape you know, some, some studio landscapes too, but mostly outdoor painting. And uh, I, I really didn't know at that time what landscape was going to be my muse. You know, mm-hmm. they use, artists use that word a lot, something that gets you excited. So excited that you can't help yourself, but get out your equipment. Because getting out all the equipment and putting out all the stuff it takes to oil paint is really difficult. So it takes a real, like, strong motivation. And, uh, I, I needed opportunities to travel, to see those different possibilities, I thought, you know. Mm-hmm. So without putting a whole lot of effort into the Ozarks here where we live, you know, mm-hmm. I, I used them as a training tool, but I was really more interested in painting mountains and ocean and mm-hmm. um, maybe more hilly landscapes, more manicured landscapes or farmed landscapes or something that we don't necessarily have right here mm-hmm. so uh, and better architecture too <laughs> yeah. That's what I heard. Um, so I, I just looked for opportunity and and it turns out that I happened to you know I got in at a really good time when these outdoor painting shows all around the country were starting to open it probably from the time I started in around 2010 you know traveling to some of these things it went from maybe 30 to 50 really great outdoor painting shows around the country to, I would say, two to 500 maybe. Wow. Wow. They were just popping up everywhere because every park and rec department, every art center, in all these little towns where people, you know, are proud of their little town and stuff, they were all aiming for for this as soon as they saw how, how magical and kind of community-enriching these kind of shows were. So... 
I got in at a good time and began going to events around the country um, at my own expense, usually. And there were there were tiers to these events. So I was going to some of the mid-level and beginner events. Mm-hmm. And I saw some of these higher-end events and, and really wanted to get into them, but I had to be patient. And, you know, around 2012, I got into my first uh, judged event, juried event, right. which means that I had to submit some work. And then the... They had they had a juror or a group of jurors that would look at, at work and decide who could who could come to the show, and this one happened to be in Estes Park, mm-hmm. and uh, I'd never been to Estes Park. I'd been to Colorado many times, but not not Rocky Mountain National Park, and so uh, I got in, and I couldn't believe it. You know, so excited, I went, and they you know all the artists, all thirty or forty of the artists that were in the event had submitted pieces that were that were up in a gallery at. On, on the first day and I went around and looked at the work and just my my heart sunk because I just thought I'm I'm toast this is <laughs> I'm no good <laughs> these people are so good what? so you know it upped the competition and that was that was interesting but yeah um I did well at that show and so I, I got to keep going to these mid-level and then eventually got into some of the upper tier shows and the upper tier shows tend to be in the you know, might be the better places Sometimes, mm-hmm. um, but so I got to go to uh, Maui, Hawaii, which was great, wonderful. I got to go three years, I believe, three years in a row, mm. maybe two, maybe just two. I was reinvited, but I, I quit going at some point because it was a big expense flying there. Right. But they give you at these shows, they'll give you free housing, which is nice, mm. and a lot of free meals. Um, Maui was great. Uh, let's see. Door County, Wisconsin is one of my favorite, and that's a place most people don't know about, but if you grew up in Chicago or around that area, maybe Minneapolis, you would think of Door County as a great vacation spot, because it's kind of like Cape, the Cape Cod of the Midwest. Um, East, Easton, Maryland is farm country, so it's not like a resort, but there's, it's just beautiful, it's just a lot of fishing industry there. Forgotten coast of Florida, Apalachicola, and Mexico Beach. Uh, That area is really beautiful. Uh, Laguna Beach, California has one Mm -hmm. that I've been to. So those are the probably the hot spots I've gotten to go to. Cool, cool. Well, while we're talking about um, memorable things, let's talk together about our trip my most memorable trip with you was the one to see George W. Bush yeah so uh, that was fun that was uh, quite an experience I'll just tell you a little bit about how that happened John uh, had a an event that he was um, teaching a workshop that he was teaching in St. Louis on a particular weekend and uh, someone that he had been in a painting class with named Jeannie Morris she's a wife of billionaire Johnny Morris who owns the Bass Pro Shops and, and uh, Big Cedar Lodge and several other things in southern Missouri um, she they're, they're friends with G.W. Bush and had him coming to a, a tracker convention that they put on every year he was the keynote speaker that year and they Jeannie thought it would be great to have John uh, painting there at, at the top of the rock that they owned there near Big Cedar mm-hmm. when he came through to tour because uh, you know 
uh, George Bush's uh, was fairly new painting, I believe, mm-hmm. at the time. Um, so she just thought that would be neat. So she invited John to to uh, attend there, to, to be there when George Bush showed up. And John was telling me about that. Uh, it was coming up, and he was just so bummed out because he had already scheduled this workshop and had paid students that uh, were attending it and just didn't see a way to get from St. Louis to Branson mm-hmm. um, uh, for, you know, for that period of time when it was just a small window of time when George Bush was going to be there. So he was telling me he was just bummed out that it wasn't going to work out. And I said, well, wait a minute, you mean it won't work out because you got to drive from St. Louis to, uh, you Branson. Know, to Branson and then mm-hmm. back to, for your class? And he said, yeah. And I said, what about flying? You know, flying's a lot faster. What, what if we looked at uh, somehow using my plane to get you back and forth a little faster than that? So we started looking into that. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that go on with flying a little plane, especially if you're not instrument rated like myself. The weather plays into it big time. Yeah. And uh, so we just started entertaining the idea and looking at the weather and, and wondering if there's a way that it could work out. And as it got closer and closer, John and I were on the phone with each other and texting each other, like, uh, do you think it's the weather's going to cooperate or not? And <laughs> we were back and forth. And... Uh, I had determined pretty much that this has got to happen. There's no way that John can miss this opportunity. <laughs> and at that point, I felt like there's no way I wanted to miss that opportunity yeah. too. Yeah. So I had some something, some stake in it also. Dude, you're my hero. But uh, last minute, that's great. Um, it looked the, there were clouds moving in, and it just looked like it wasn't going to be the best for flying. And John texted me and said, "I think I'm just going to." He, he was out in, in St. Louis at the time, I think, and he said, let's just call it off. It doesn't look like it's going to work out. And I texted back and said, too late. I'm already on the plane. I'm on my way. And John had made a plan. The plan we were working on is that he would drive, when he got through with his class that evening, to uh, Branson. And then I would fly to Branson. We would do the meeting with George Bush that morning, and then I would fly. He'd leave his car there in Branson, and I would fly him back to St. Louis in time for his next class. So that's, uh, and, I mean, the, the, the thought, the plot kind of thickened as, as George Bush was a little bit late showing up and, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the right. timeline was getting crunched to get yeah. back there and yeah. as well as the weather was the weather, getting worse. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's right. as we were watching everything, it was like, I just didn't know if it was going to work out. Um, I mean, we'd already committed and John was already going to drive out there that night. And I was already flying out there, so at that point it was, you know, there's no turning back. Mm-hmm. But uh, George Bush did show up, uh, what, maybe half an hour later than mm-hmm. he was supposed to. Um, John got to uh, do some painting and talk with him, and I, I actually got some of that on video. I'm not, I'm not supposed to. The Secret Service <laughs> told me not to. After. They took you to the ground, didn't yeah. they? I saw <laughs> yeah, that. just about. And they threw your phone down the hill. <laughs> Well, I retrieved it, I guess, because I still got that video. <laughs> I hope they're not listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just kidding. But I got pictures for sure, and um, just incredible thing. And then we hopped in the plane, uh, you know, regardless of the weather, and just praying. And believe it or not, I, I looked at a, I remember looking at my iPhone or my iPad, I guess, that I use for, for charting, and there was... 
a thunderstorm and clouds all around us, mm-hmm. but there was a path from Branson to St. Louis, yeah. just a little strip that was clear. Yeah. Just as we went to take yeah. off. That was probably my favorite part of the whole trip. Yeah. Uh, I mean, seeing George Bush was fine, but of course my nerves were yeah. on edge. Yeah. But man, when it was over and we were flying back to St. Louis, yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget that moment above St. Louis where maybe it was maybe it might have been 15 minutes or 30 minutes before we got there yeah that you had to dip down clouds the clouds yep like and there was a hole there was a hole that was closing up yep and you flew right through it right before (laughs) the clouds converged and exactly i mean it was just epic it was like you could not plan it and that cloud had the face of satan on it too i'm pretty sure (laughs) i saw it i think so (laughs) (laughs) oh wow but yeah, so we made it back there in time to, to do his class, and it was just an incredible adventure that we will definitely never forget. Okay. I, I, I did a screenshot of that, that um, strip of clear between Branson and um, St. Louis, but I can't find it. I wish. Really? I don't know what happened to it. Uh, but yeah. anyway. Satan. Yeah, I guess. Well, that, um, so. My, I'm, we're just going to wrap up now. I just wanted to ask you, what's what's your vision for the future? How do you, uh, you know, I know you like teaching and you like uh, influencing other up-and-coming artists. So how do you plan to do that and impact more people as you look into the future? Well, a big part of growing is, is to uh, make a lot of paintings, you know, and I've done that. I've made thousands of landscapes and quite a few figure and portraits now and and I want to keep doing it but I want to do it with a little more purpose so that means I need means I need to buy time to work in the studio and you know sometimes it's best if I only work an hour on a painting and then give myself the rest of the day to do some other things and then then look at the painting again the next day and all of a sudden I see things that I wouldn't have seen if I had been impatient with it so I don't know, to buy time, I need other ways of, other streams of income, and I began um, teaching a few years ago, and uh, those classes were going so well that I just, I really realized, I guess, that I had some gift in that, and um, then that put a a weight on me, like I needed to really develop and be able to do it best, so I I spent a lot of time studying, learning, and and here I am, I'm, I'm ready to, ready to to teach more and so I'm trying to find ways to do that online so that's that's the next thing I've got coming up hopefully is uh, some sort of online community mm-hmm. and uh, of learners and uh, so I'm pretty excited about that cool yeah cool I'm excited for you so uh, yeah so look look for that in the near future um, some online teaching and just tell I know you've been doing you uh, kind of are centering it around this idea of doing um, critiques on people's paintings can you tell just a little bit about yeah so the the idea is I've I've noticed because as as I've grown I've been taking lessons as well and I got to go study with Israel Hirschberg in in Italy he has a summer program Mm -hmm. and uh, I got into his master class and it was very rigorous and it was different than anything I'd ever experienced before. And it mostly centered around the idea of critique. So you go out, make your best attempt at a painting, mm-hmm. bring it before the master and ask his advice or his thoughts. Cool. And he would ignore a lot of the paintings that, because there were a hundred students there. Mm-hmm. 
he would just go across the wall until he found something that could make a, a universal lesson for everyone right. or a praise for something that really stood out, you know? Sure. And I just, I learned so much. I, I was just, he was critiquing other people's paintings, but I was writing down all the information that, mm-hmm. you know, that, I, that was really striking me. And it was a lot. Yeah. And th- that showed me the great gap in my ability to teach too. And so I've really taken that to heart, spent a lot of time reading and learning and developing my philosophy reading things, subjects other than painting, you know, learning about sculpture and mm-hmm. philosophy and science and stuff like that. So, so I have a lot more to add as a critiquer than I used to. And uh, I think it's really going to help a lot of these beginning and um, middle-of-the-road painters that, that, are, that are in America right now. Mm-hmm. Many of them retired from a job or something like that. A lot of, but a lot of young people too that aren't getting the kind of training they would hope for and I can help take them to different levels you know something that yeah. mimics the great training the great kind of teachers that you saw in the 19th century and early 20th century yeah. a lot of that got lost in, in the modern movement you can't you know you don't learn skills as much because concept became more important than skill right. for, for a while so so I'm trying to dig deep into history and find out what 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 skill looked like and what you know what motivated those people and then kind of pair it with what modern philosophy teaches and mm-hmm. what i I've, I've learned you know growing up that kind of thing so i'm really excited because it's really the best way to teach and i hope that it really catches on you yeah. know yeah well it sounds to me very very interesting like how could it not catch on i mean that, mm-hmm. i can't wait for you to to get that going so cool Th- thanks for taking this time with me and uh again john lassiter you uh, look him up on the internet he's got a website you want to mm-hmm. say what that is or well i'm not the john lassiter from pixar <laughs> okay <laughs> so you know who he's not now <laughs> yeah are you still going to be my friend <laughs> oh darn i'll have to think about that <laughs> yeah uh, so it's spelled l-a-s-a-t-e-r L-A-S-A-T-T-E-R, sorry. Um, and the website's lassiterart.com. Okay, cool. Thanks, John. Thank you.